Well, my name is Ron Kuhl. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside as well. And again, uh, welcome to each and every one of you, especially to any of you who might be visiting with us this morning. We're going to continue a study that we've been in for nine weeks now, a, a study of the 24 hours that, as Adam Hamilton says, 24 hours that changed the world, 24 hours that can change our lives, the 24 hours that took place uh, almost 2,000 years ago from sunset on a Thursday to sunset on a Friday in and around Jerusalem. We've been following through this. We've been calling this series 24, The Journey to the Cross. And, and today we're getting near the end of our journey. We're getting the end of the near of the time uh, to the... We're getting to the end of the time that we're studying. And, and we're going to be looking at what happens between noon and 3 on that Friday. And then Thursday night we'll look from 3 o'clock till about 7 o'clock to complete the 24 hours. So from noon to 3 on that Friday, what we're looking at. I want to go back just a little bit, not all the way back to Thursday evening, but just to, again to remind you kind of how we got to where we are and where we are at noon. Um, this is Jerusalem and Jesus' time, a map of it. And, and we said that uh, the Sanhedrin brought Jesus here to, to Pilate, to the Antonia Fortress. And that's probably about where that was and, and where Jesus was at that time. Uh, Pilate ends up uh, handing Jesus. Jesus over to be crucified, um, probably about 8.30 in the morning, and at that time they went outside of the city, we talked about that, they went outside of the city to the place called Golgotha, and it was about 9 o'clock in the morning when they crucified him, all right? So Friday at about 9 in the morning, they crucified him, they put him on the cross, and, and we talked about that last week. From that, that, those next three hours, from 9 to noon, we're not going to spend a lot of time on any of this stuff, but there's some interesting things that happened. It was a time of, again, agony and suffering and, and pain. Uh, Jesus experienced the taunts and the jeers of, of the crowd, uh, people making fun of him. Uh, the, the, the crucifixions would take place kind of on main roads. And, and as I mentioned last week, I hadn't really thought about this before, maybe it was two weeks ago, but, but Jesus on the cross would not have been that much higher than this cross is here. Um, we kind of sometimes picture it way out, but people could walk by, they could hit him, they could do whatever. Uh, the crosses were, were not as tall as I sometimes imagine they were. So Jesus endured all the taunting, all the jeering, you saved others, why can't you save yourself? Why don't you do something if you're really the son of God, if God really cares about you? Um, the soldiers divided up Jesus' clothes, we talked about that briefly last week. Jesus speaks three times uh, during these first three hours. He says, first he prays, Luke tells us, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And, and then Jesus turns, uh, we believe, next in time to, the, to one of the thieves uh, on the cross with him and, and says, today, you, he asks Jesus, remember me, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And, and that thief is experiencing salvation right there. And, and then Jesus, uh, before noon again, looks at his mother and, and says, and Mary who's there, and says to her, dear woman, here is your son, John the disciple, here is your son, and then John, this is your mother, take care of each other, be there for each other. So those first three hours, we don't know if it was a sunny day or if it was a, a, a cloudy day or whatever, but Charles Spurgeon says something interesting. He says, you know, it's, it, it's a good thing, it's a good thing that those first three hours were in the light, because part of what it proves is that it indeed was Jesus on the cross, uh, I was not aware of that till this week, and I'm understanding this correctly, but um, the Quran suggests that it wasn't Jesus. It says Allah would never let a prophet. The Quran says Jesus was a great prophet, and, and say Allah would never let a prophet die on a cross, so it was actually Barabbas, not Jesus, who was on the cross. And, and, and so we say, no, it, it was clear. It was not dark. It was clo Everybody knew it was Jesus there on the cross. And so during those first three hours, it was clearly visible, and, and, and there was this taunting and so on going on. And then at noon, where we pick up the story today, things change. At noon, Mark tells us, 1533, at noon, darkness came over the whole land 
until three in the afternoon. In the middle of the day, it becomes as dark as night. In the middle of the day, it becomes complete darkness. Now, when I read something like this, I just want to deal with this up front. One of the things that I'm tempted to do in a situation like this is I start to ask all sorts of how questions, right? I mean, how did this happen? Was there a a solar eclipse? Did God send thick clouds? Did did God, uh, Luke says, the sun stopped shining. Did God just turn off the sun? Or or I want to ask other questions about, well, you know, it says the whole land. Was that all of the earth? The word that's used in the Greek can mean just an area or the entire earth. Was it that? Was it all the earth, only part of the earth? I ask questions about that. Um, I, I, I ask questions about saying, well, is there any proof of this, any evidence of this? And, and while I don't think those are terrible questions, they're not the right questions. <laughs> I, I'm not going to spend any time. You want to Google that? I, I, the Bible says it, and, and I say, okay, that's what happened. It turned dark. Exactly what that means, how that happened, I'm not worried about that. What I want to ask is, what does it mean? What is God trying to tell us? What is, what is the word of God saying here? What is Mark telling us? And part of what he's telling us is, is that something significant is going on during these three hours. That these 24 hours have all been in some ways, what I want to suggest is leading up to these three hours. And these are the three hours of crunch time. And, and if we read, uh, had the time to read the whole gospel of Mark this morning, we'd notice something really interesting. If you've got Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to Mark 1 verse 10. If you don't, I'll have it on the screen in just a moment. But, but Mark chapter 1, verse 10. This is at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, all right? At the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, all right? And he comes up out of the water, whether the, he was in the water and, and John poured water on him or he went all the way under, we don't know. Um, but, but Jesus comes out of the water, and, and look at what happens, okay? Mark says this, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. All right, this is at the beginning. Heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the father. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And, and so I think what part of what Mark is trying to show us here is, is at the beginning, when Jesus comes and he starts his ministry, heaven opens up and there's this, this light and, and this brightness and the father and the spirit join the son. All three of them in the same place, yet different. All three of them are there and it's light and it's bright and it's beautiful and it's affirming and it's the presence and it's community and it's all that stuff but now when we get to the end now when we get to the end it's darkness it's as if that's getting reversed right the 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 heaven is now getting closed up the father is pulling back he still loves the son but he's pulling back and turning his back on the son and so i want to think about this darkness with you I want to think about what's going on here, about what's the importance of it. What does it mean to us? I want to do that by asking two questions. First one is going to be why. Why why this darkness? What does the Bible tell us about why it was dark for these three hours while Jesus was on the cross? Why the darkness? And then second, I want to ask, what does it mean for us? How does it impact? How, How does it help us live our lives from day to day as we go through this? So we start with that first question, why the darkness? Why at noon does it go dark? And, and I'm going to suggest four reasons that the Bible gives us. The, the first is this, because it was a symbol of judgment. It was the day of the Lord. It was a, a recognition that, that judgment was coming on the world, on the earth, on us, on 
but really all on Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, after a certain place, they started looking for the day of the Lord. The people of Israel were looking for the day of the Lord. And what they said is, on that day, God is going to make everything right. On that day, God is going to make everything new. That's the day we look for. The day of the Lord, God is going to wipe out all of those who are opposed to him. On the day of the Lord, God is going to take care of all those who have done things against him. And the people of Israel were like, the day of the Lord is going to be awesome. That's going to be our day. That's when we, that's when we win. But the prophets... The prophets kept coming and saying, uh, time out. Time out. The day of the Lord is, is not just going to be sweetness and light for you. The fact of the matter is the day of the Lord is going to be darkness. Amos 8, 750 years before Christ. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, on the day of the Lord, on the day of judgment, and in these words, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. On that day of judgment, I will make the sun go down at noon. And so when we see the darkness envelop the earth, when we see that happening, making it into a day of darkness, part of what is going on there is is that it's a a fulfillment, a carrying through of this promise. Uh, It's a recognition that this is the day of the Lord. We go on to the next verse in Amos. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads And then this line, I will make that time like what? Like mourning for an only son. And the end of it like a bitter day, like mourning for an only son. And God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so Amos said the day of the Lord is going to be darkness and it will be mourning. And and, and so what we see here is, is judgment. We talked about this last week in terms of God's judgment being poured out and, and, and Jesus taking that, Jesus paying the price for our sins. And, and part of the darkness is simply to say, this is the day of the Lord. And, and, and for Israel, it was not just a day of joy. It was a day of suffering. It was a day of pain. And, and at one level for us, it is. But ultimately, it is Jesus taking away our sins. It is Jesus paying that price. And so the day of the Lord, the day of judgment is happening right here between noon and three on the cross. And the power of judgment is being poured out. That's the first thing. The second thing I think we're supposed to see in this darkness is this, that that Jesus is experiencing the full force of the powers of darkness, okay? We, We don't think and talk all that much about spiritual warfare. I think it can be overdone. But the fact of the matter is, it is real. There are demons, there are devils, there are uh, spiritual forces of darkness. The Bible makes that clear. And I think part of what we are to recognize in this, in the darkness, in a sense, this now becomes the hour of darkness. This becomes when Jesus is facing all of those uh, attacks throughout the gospels the light is jesus the light is god the darkness is the realm of satan it's the realm of the devil again the very first uh, thing god says in scripture genesis 1 right let there be light god brings light and, and and now it is the hour of darkness luke makes this very clear he just says it straight up in luke 22 verse 53 jesus uh is talking when he's being arrested so this would have been thursday uh friday morning about 3 a.m every day i was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me but this is your hour when darkness reigns and and, and so part of what i think we're supposed to understand is going on here is is that as it were, the, the powers of darkness. And, and I think about it. Think about when Jesus was born, okay? 
What happens on the day that Jesus is born? Again, that Luke tells us about. What happens is, is the angels come. And, and the day he's born, the night becomes day because the angels are all there and the angels are celebrating it. But now on the, at the moment of his death, at this time of his death, he is not surrounded by angels. He is surrounded. He is surrounded by demons. He is surrounded by them. And they are attacking him. And, and they are letting all of their powers let loose on him. Last week we talked about substitutionary atonement, and really it's not that hard to understand. But, but in some ways, part of what we see in, in the darkness here is another picture of how God saves us. And, and this one is called the ransom theory of atonement. Uh, it's talked about in, in a few places, not as often as substitution is in Scripture. But in Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And, and that's part of, again, what we see in the darkness. Because what, what this talks about in, in the story that Ransom tells is, the Ransom Theory of Atonement tells is that when we sinned, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, when we rebelled against God, in a sense what we did is we invited the darkness in. And once we did that, once we invited the darkness in, there was, in a sense, we owned a pound of flesh. We owed a pound of flesh. We, we became prisoners, as it, as it were. We, we became under the ownership, and, and, and the devil had a certain amount of rights to us, and we needed to be set free from that. We needed to pay the price of, of ransom, of, of, of being released from that kingdom. We chose our world, and we chose poorly, and we chose this one, and so again, part of what's happening on the cross is, is this Jesus is, is paying the ransom, and, and the demons and Satan are having their go at him. And, and I, you can just kind of imagine, again, all of these powers of darkness now are there, and it's their hour, and they are doing. Humanity has done their worst to Jesus, and now the spiritual forces do their worst to Jesus, their worst to Jesus. So that's the second reason, Jesus experiencing the full force of the powers of hell. The third reason, interesting one here, because creation itself, I think is feeling Jesus' pain. Now, the creation doesn't have a soul in the same way you and I do. It's not, it, it's not created in the image of God, but the scripture says that the world is groaning. I mean, the world is waiting. The world is anticipating. Uh, the apostle, uh, uh, Paul, rather, in, in Romans 8, Paul in Romans 8, verse 20, says this, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And then these words, Romans 8, 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And, and, and so there's a sense in which the sun is waiting for the day when everything is made new. There's a sense in which every star, every, every tree, every lake, every river, all of creation, all of the mountains, they were created by God to sing. They were created by God to, to worship him. They were created by God to live in this wonderful, joyous place. And because of sin, they too have been in bondage. They too have been uh, uh, damaged and, and hurt. And, and, so, and they've been waiting for that. And I think part of what we see here is, is that the creation itself is just saying, this is our holy moment. This is where we begin to experience freedom. This is where we begin to, to find new life and joy. And, and, and so we get all of creation, all of creation that, that kind of ties into this and, and, and says, all right, this is such a holy moment that we're going to turn off the lights. This is such a holy moment 
that we are going to let this just happen in the darkness, in the creation itself. Again, don't turn it into a living thing. I mean, we're not worshiping Mother Earth here or anything. But somehow the creation has been groaning. And, and now it's, it's feeling that pain. And it goes dark, recognizing what's happening on the cross, that, that all of that is, is being paid. All of that is being taken care of. The final reason is the major one. And, and, and the one that I think we are most intended to see. And, and it is this. It turns dark because the father is turning his back on the son. The father is turning his back on the son. We believe in a trinity, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. We saw that at the baptism of Jesus where the voice spoke from heaven and the dove came and, and Jesus was there. And, and, and so there are the three of them. And what we believe is that for all eternity they were together. They, they were in unity. They were committed to each other. They were celebrating community together. They, they, they were inseparable. But what I think the scriptures teach us is that for these three hours, they separated. For these three hours, the father turned his back on the son so that he would never have to turn his back on us. And, and, and there are those who say, well, it really doesn't, you know, it's really not that the father turned his back on the son. He just felt like that to Jesus. I want to say no. I think that he literally turned his back on the son and, and that Jesus is now completely alone. His loneliness has been building. The crowds are no longer there, right? On, good, on, on, on Palm Sunday, we celebrate that the crowds follow Jesus and said, you are our king. The crowds are gone. Judas has betrayed him. The other disciples have abandoned him. Peter has denied him. And, 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 and now everybody is taken away because it's dark. But that's nothing compared to what he experienced, to what he experienced when the father turns his face away. Jesus is now completely alone. Mark tells us this at the end of this three hours. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It's a quote from Psalm 23, excuse me, Psalm 22, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and what I think we're supposed to understand from this I, in reading about it, studying about it this week, it was fascinating because a number of people who kind of said, well, that was just Jesus' human side, feeling like he was all alone. What I want to suggest is no one is ever able to say those words except for Jesus Christ because God has never forsaken any of us. But he forsook his son. He turned his back on his son so he would not have to do that to us. Jesus, during these three hours, is experiencing hell. There were many of us who believe there's a little bit of a controversy here, but, but I, a, a, a great number of Christians believe, and I'm, I'm in this camp, that say it was during these three hours. In the Apostles' Creed, we say Jesus descended into hell and that he did that during these three hours. That the, the, In the darkness, the Father turned his faith, face away, the Spirit turned away, and Jesus experienced the full force of hell. Jesus experienced what that was like because hell is ultimately the absence of God. C.S. Lewis does such a wonderful job of, of pointing this out for us. You know, we, we tend to focus on hell as well. It's this place of torment, and the Bible certainly talks about fire and torment in that. But what, what Lewis suggests is that the worst torment is that God says, have it your way. And God pulls back, and we get whatever we want. In, in Lewis's um, book, The Great Divorce, hell is the place where everybody gets what they want, and we realize how miserable we are. 
You want a new house? You get it. And it just keeps spreading, and there is no joy, and it's dark, and it's gray. And Jesus is experiencing hell, the absence of God, friends. That's, that's the worst thing that can happen. And, and so those four things. Why the darkness? Because it is the day of the Lord. It's, it's a sign of judgment because Jesus is experiencing the full force of the power of darkness. Because creation itself is feeling Jesus' pain and because the Father is turning his back on the Son. So what does that mean to us? I'm going to take just a couple of minutes here and, and look at this. What does being in the dark, darkness, uh, Jesus being in the darkness mean for us? What difference does it make tomorrow? The, the first thing is, and, and this is powerful, Jesus knows our deepest struggles and our pains. Some of you know darkness. We all know darkness to a degree. We all know struggles. We know darkness of depression. We know darkness of grief. We know darkness of, of, of broken relationships. We know darkness of pain. We all know some degree of darkness. Some of you are living in it right now. Some of you are struggling with levels of depression that are so deep. And when we are in those places, you know that one of the most powerful feelings is feeling like nobody understands. Is feeling that I am completely alone. Nobody gets it. I have heard that from people with tears flowing down their face so often. Nobody knows what it's like. I have to put on this face when I'm out there, but nobody really understands what it's like, and I want to say Jesus does. Jesus knows darkness. Jesus knows darkness that is darker, and I don't want to minimize any of the darkness any of us go through, but Jesus knows absolute, complete, total darkness. And, And whatever taste of darkness we have and some of you again experience it really strongly but that's not as strong as what Jesus went through Jesus knows exactly what that's like you know I I, I think it's important for us to understand we'll never understand the cross Uh, sometimes we sing song a a song here that that can end with the the line um, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross and, and we'll repeat it. And some ways you say, well, why do we keep repeating it? And part of it, I think, is, is to, to try to drive it home and to try to just say, what does it mean to understand how much? We'll never understand the cross and all that happened. But, but here's something interesting, I think, to keep in mind. You know, last week what we focused on was that on the cross, Jesus takes away our sins. And that's often what we see in the cross. The Bible clearly says that's part of what happens is Jesus pays the price for our sins but this week I want us to recognize that that's not the only thing going on there. What, but what also happens is in the darkness on the cross, Jesus takes on our suffering and our pain. And it's not about our guilt, it's about our shame. It's about our pain, it's about our suffering, it's about our loss. It's about that child who died 30 years ago. It's about that miscarriage we had 40 years ago. It's about the depression that doesn't seem to lift. And in that, Jesus comes and Jesus is with us. And I just want you to know, to think about that so that when you go through those times of darkness, no matter what it feels like, you are not alone. But Jesus went through hell on the cross. He went through the worst of depressions. He went through the worst of pain, worst of grief, the worst of everything during those three hours on the cross so he could be with us. The author of the letter to the Hebrews writes this. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted. And and in Hebrews, that word is also often used for tested uh, in every way, who's gone through all the darkness just as we are, yet he did not sin. And God is there. And you need to know that. One of the most powerful pictures of this comes from a Jewish person, actually, that I know of in the, in the relatively recent past. Some of you are familiar with the book Night, written by Elie Wiesel. 
Elie Wiesel is a Jewish person who was in, I think it was Auschwitz, concentration camp during World War II. And Wiesel uh, writes about the experience, and it was night. It was darkness. It was horror. It was unbelievable suffering. And, and he describes one moment in particular where it was just the darkest of the dark. He says that what they would do in the concentration camps is if somebody did something wrong, or sometimes just to prove they could, they would hang people, but they wouldn't do it privately. They would often gather the whole concentration camp, make them be there, and they would publicly hang these people to kind of just say, watch out, don't get out of line, or we'll do this to you. So they would publicly hang these people. And he said there was one day that three were going to be hanged. And he said two were adults, but one was really a boy, 10, 11, 12 years old. 95 pounds, something like that. And he said what happened was that when they dropped the, the floor out, when they kicked the chairs out, whatever they did, the first two, the adults, they had enough weight that they broke their necks. And they died instantly, but the boy didn't. And they stood there for six, seven, eight minutes. And then they were all forced to walk by. And he says when he walked by, that boy was still alive choking to death. And there was a guy behind him, and this is what the guy said. Behind me, I heard the same man asking, for God's sake, where is God? And from within me, I heard a voice answer, where is he? This is where hanging here from the gallows. And, and I think, Vizel, you don't know how true that is. Because he wasn't hanging from those gallows, he was hanging from a cross. Almost 2,000 years earlier, Jesus hung from a cross. And so where is he when we suffer? He is right there with us. When we think about him being on the cross, what we know is that he is there in our grief. So sometimes I think in, in Reformed circles, we can make God so big and powerful that we sort of say, well, then he has to be happy all the time because he always gets what he wants. Yes, God always gets what he wants, but sometimes God cries. Jesus went into the darkness and he experienced our pain and God is one. Where is God in your pain? He is right next to you. Where is he in your depression? He is right there with you. Where is he in the loss of your child? He is right there. Where is he in the breakup of your marriage? He is right there with you. Where is God? He is in your place of pain. Jesus knows our deepest struggles and pains. But not only does he know them, he can help us through them. The second thing, of what this means for us is that God will give us what we need in our darkest hour. That because Jesus experienced the darkness to its fullest, because Jesus went to hell, you and I don't have to, and God will carry us through. Now, again, I wish I could say, and ever since then, God gets us out of any darkness. Ever since then, God, God has, there's never been any darkness for somebody who believes in Jesus to go through. That's not the case. We sometimes go through darkness, but the promise is that God will give us what we need to get through it. God turned his back on his son, so he never has to turn his back on us. For me, one of the most powerful sermons I remember George preaching here is based on Romans 8, 31 and 32. But again, Paul, talking about suffering, talking about struggling, he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? All creation is growing. It's not the way it's supposed to be. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then these words, verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Jesus... Jesus went to hell for us. Jesus was in the darkness of the cross. God gave up his son. He will take care of us, okay? If he went that far, again, I don't know why he doesn't take care of it all right now. I don't know why he doesn't just give us exactly what I want right now. 
But I know this, it's not for a lack of love and it's not for a lack of resources and it's not for a lack of commitment. Paul says, look at the cross. Look at the cross. If God gave up his own own son, how will he not also give us all things graciously? He will take care of us. God turned his back on his son so he never has to turn his back on us. So those two things. Jesus knows our deepest struggles. God will give us what we need in our darkest hour. And then one more. And here I'm going to cheat a little bit because we're this side of the cross. And that is this. We remember in the middle of our darkness, Jesus is with us. God is giving us strength. And, and then we hold on to hope. Friends, the darkness doesn't win. I think some of the most difficult part of the darkness is it seems like it's going to go on forever. It's never going to change. The pain is never going to go away. Why should I keep trying? It's not going to get any better. The darkness is just going to be there and it's going to go on forever and one day the whole thing will be just gone. But that's not our story. I'm jumping ahead a week because we know what happens and and we hold on to this. Mark 16, a week from today, we will be celebrating this, talking about this. But an angel, the women go to the tomb. An angel says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. He comes back to life. The darkness doesn't win. The, The ransom is paid. And, and it's so interesting because Christians have had to try to figure out what to do with this ransom language because Jesus, you know, he, he paid the price, but then he broke out. That's what we're going to celebrate next week, that he breaks out and that it's light and it's hope. But what it means for us today is that in the darkness, we still have hope. In the darkness, we know we know that the light is coming. There's a a wonderful sermon. One of you quoted it to me last week. I can't remember who it was, but one of you quoted it to me last week. It's been preached by Tony Campolo, and he actually stole it from a a pastor that he had. But Campolo had a phrase that he kept using in this sermon over and over again. And, and, And in the darkness, I have thought about this so often, but what Campolo said over and over again is this. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And and that's the kind of people we need to be. We recognize that it's Friday. We recognize that the darkness is here. We recognize, as Christians, we do not deny the pain. We do not deny the brokenness. We don't pretend that there's nothing wrong, but we live with hope. And, and, And so we say it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but someday Jesus is going to rise again. It's Friday, but on Sunday the light is going to come. It's dark right now, but on Sunday the sun is going to rise. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And, and I need to live with that hope. It, 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 sometimes I scream it and I love it and I'm joyful. Sometimes it's God, I can hardly stand this. But I still dare to believe that Sunday's coming. And, and someday it will be all right. When we look at Jesus in the darkness, he knows our Fridays. He knows that suffering. He knows that pain. He knows that difficulty. Wrap it up. When we are in the darkness, and some of you are there right now, all of us get there at one time or another, remember those three things. First, we are not alone. Nobody sitting in this church might understand what you're going through right now. Nobody might understand the struggles, but I tell you this, Jesus knows. Jesus has been there. Jesus is with you in that God will carry us through. And one day, one day we will live in the light. And there will be no more Fridays. But it's going to be Sunday. 
all the time. And don't worry, we won't spend it all in church. But on that Sunday, we're going we're gonna to swim and dance and sing and play golf and all sorts of wonderful things. So when it's Friday, remember that Sunday's coming. Let's pray together. Father, we cannot imagine. We know darkness, and it feels unbelievable to us. It sometimes feels, as Psalm 88 says, that darkness is our only friend. And yet Jesus took all the darkness of all of us through all history and took it upon himself. Every tear, every pain, every hurt, every cry of anguish. So remind us that you are with us and you will take care of us and give us the hope to know that someday it's going to be okay. Father, help us to not give up because Sunday's coming. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand to receive God's parting word of blessing? Again, following our service, there are going to be some folks in the prayer room there to that side of the auditorium. If you'd like to talk with somebody or pray with somebody, they would be happy to meet with you. People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with us even in our darkest hours. And may you know that God is with us and one day it will be light. Go in God's grace. Amen.